And we'll read the first 21 verses this morning. It's a long chapter. It goes on as Christ goes on to explain this miracle of feeding the 5,000 in terms of himself as the bread of life and what we'll read in the weeks to come, the Lord willing. But we'll give our attention to these two miracles of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on the water that we find in the first 21 verses, the Gospel of John chapter 6. Let us hear God's word at verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks... He distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose, because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Let's bow to ask for God's blessing on his word, shall we? Almighty God, we pray that you would graciously grant that the word that we've read now may be written upon our hearts, that we may receive your word meekly and with pure affection, that our hearts may be filled with love and reverence for you and for your Christ. 
Cause us to bear the fruit of your spirit and to live in holiness, diligently following where you lead us. And may it please you to lead your people, even those, Lord, who are weary or confused today, or any who are lost and wandering, to lead us into the way of the truth. And we pray this for the honor and the praise of your name through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel according to John is a rich treasure, isn't it, that we hold in our hand this, this revelation from God. And it is a, a wonderful thing, isn't it, that God has given to us four gospel accounts, four different portraits, as it were, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God sent to save us. The first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, we sometimes call the synoptic gospels. They were labeled that way a couple hundred years ago by a Bible scholar, and the word synoptic comes from a couple Greek words that means to see together. And those first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, can be seen together. They can be examined side by side because they have a similar structure. They cover most of the same events, sometimes often in the same language, and so they're quite similar, the synoptic Gospels. But John is different covers a different period of time, focuses not on the Galilean ministry so much, but on Christ's labor in Judea and his revelation in Jerusalem. And unlike Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which seem to be showing us a Christ on the move, many events happening, short parables spoken, pithy sayings, John focused on, a, on just a few events. There's some seven miracles in his book that are signs of the glory of the divinity of Jesus. And following most of those, Jesus launches into a, a sermon or a discourse that's quite lengthy. We'll see that in John 6, in which he teaches and explains now the significance of that sign. John here, as he slows us down to look at this well-known miracle. It actually occurs in all the gospel accounts, the feeding of the 5,000. But John here slows us down and, and zeroes in on the reality that it's Passover time. He says that. It's, the Passover is at hand. Jesus had just spoken about Moses at the end of chapter 5. And in what follows in this long discourse, Jesus will speak of Moses again. The Jews in John 6 will talk about the manna that falls from heaven in the wilderness and this moment in Israel's life, Passover time, means that the focus of the nation at this moment is, is at this high point of their calendar year when they remember the Passover, that God, through Moses, brought them out of slavery in Egypt. It was an exciting time. But what the Jews often forgot was that it was not so easy to follow Moses. It's fun to think back, right? Oh, how great it was, Moses led us out of Egypt. Was it all good times? Or didn't your fathers, when Moses was there, and when Pharaoh began to, to lay a heavy burden upon you, didn't you say to Moses, leave us alone? Pharaoh just beats on us more, makes us make bricks without straw. Go away, Moses. We don't want to be led out of Egypt. Or when Moses led them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, was it all happy times? Or didn't they say, what, you brought us out here to kill us? Where's the water? Where's the food? Following Moses was not so easy. But you see, now Jesus Christ comes as the greater than Moses. He's the fulfillment 
of all that expectation, because the whole expectation of Old Testament Israel was, was focused on the exodus and on Moses. And as they look forward to a new day, they look for a greater exodus. And now Christ comes as the fulfillment of all of that expectation and hope. But guess what? It's not easy to follow him. Nobody can follow Jesus and be led out of slavery and bondage unless they trust Christ. Unless they trust him. Unless they believe that he's a trustworthy deliverer. Unless they believe that he is a good shepherd king and one who is worthy of being followed. How else do you give up the comforts of Egypt? If this morning, brothers and sisters, you have something in your life that you struggle to give up for the sake of following Jesus, then maybe bring that to your mind this morning before these words of John chapter 6. And say, Lord, help me to see who Christ is so I can let go of Egypt that I may follow after Christ. God sets before you here the great shepherd leader, the great king, who's greater than Moses, as he shows us that Jesus sees our poverty, Jesus provides for us, Jesus leads in the right path, and Jesus brings us peace. Let's look at those four things this morning. First of all, the poverty, the poverty that Jesus sees. First thing that we notice in the text is that Christ is keenly aware of the needs of the people, right? Jesus has crossed over from the more populated, better known side of the Sea of Galilee, the western shore, over to the eastern side. He's gone over there. Mark's gospel account actually tells us Jesus took his disciples there because because the ministry had become so busy that the disciples didn't even have time to eat. So he said, come aside for a while and rest. So he brings them there. He brings them there to rest. Jesus is on the other side with the disciples. These are the men he's, he's equipping to, to proclaim his name to the world. It's the Passover time, verse 4. Maybe Jesus wants to teach them about the true meaning of the Passover. But we read in verse 5 that, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? So, the restful time is interrupted by this great crowd, and yet we read that Christ lifts up his eyes and he sees, and when John writes those words, surely he wants us to remember what he wrote Back in chapter 4, remember the the Samaritan woman at the well? Jesus reveals himself to her, and then she goes back to the Samaritan town. The disciples have arrived. They're asking Jesus about this conversation with the woman. And then Jesus says, lift up your eyes and look. You say four months until the harvest? No, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. And presumably what has happened is that the woman has gone into the town. She's told everybody about Jesus. And here they are flooding out of the town towards Jesus, a great crowd of people. And Christ says to the disciples, look, the harvest for eternal life. Christ knows the priority of the moment. He knows why he has come. And he is not immune to the aching hearts and the broken lives that come out of Samaria, crossing cultural boundaries to go to this Jewish man. Is he perhaps the one who will save us? And now a couple chapters later, it's Jewish people. And and Christ's time with his disciples is interrupted by this crowd of Jews coming towards him. And Christ says to Philip, how will we feed them? Christ lifts up his eyes. He sees them. And he's concerned about feeding them. 
It's remarkable, isn't it, that Christ doesn't consider this some tragic interruption, but for this purpose Christ came, right? To feed hungry stomachs. He, he sees the people coming to him. Actually, it says they come to him because they, they had seen his signs. He had healed people. They, they know this is the one, perhaps, in whom we can have life. They come to him. They, they know they have aching hearts and they have desperate needs. They have long-cherished hopes and they, they flood to Jesus. And Jesus hungers to feed them. In fact, Mark's account says that when Christ saw the crowd of people, he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Christ is a wonderful shepherd king, isn't he? His eyes discern our needs and even our deepest needs. I don't remember if I told you that story from some months ago when I was walking through the airport actually with a, another minister who has who's teaching missions and evangelism courses at the seminary I go to sometimes. And he, we were walking through the airport. We came to a kind of a secluded area. We were a bit lost, wondered how to get to where we needed to be, and there sat a security guard at his, his little desk there. And so that was nice. We walked over to him to ask him the way to go. And so he casually told us how to get to where we needed to go and so I thought good we have our information and I turned to walk away and the minister I was with he paused I looked at him and he gently said to the security guard are you doing okay and as soon as he said that the light bulb just went on for me because I thought that's right this guy looked pretty terrible as he was talking to us and I was just looking how to get information out of him so we get on our way but he The minister I was with saw more deeply, and the security guard shook his head no, not doing okay. You know, we can run right on by people, sometimes because we're selfish, sometimes because we think I have nothing to give them, I have no money, or or their problems are very complicated, I don't know what I would say to them. Christ draws our eyes to himself here doesn't he he shows us himself here he's not a savior who sighs over the burden he's not one who gets angry and shakes his head he's not one who rushes past he doesn't say to his disciples let's get out of here too many people i don't know who's going to feed him let's get out of here but he's filled with compassion he's not afraid that he lacks the resources he's not overwhelmed and thinks i can't do what these people need in the wilderness The millions of Israelites feared that God didn't know their need. The burning issue of their lives, bread, where will we get bread? Exodus 16, oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. That's what they said to Moses. Tremendously insulting after God just brought them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, revealed himself as the great I am, and now they don't think that he can feed them in the wilderness. But now the greater than Moses has come. God's greatest revelation of the person of his own son. And do we still doubt God's goodness? And do we still doubt his ability to provide for his people? Do you know this morning how attentive Christ's eyes are to your needs? 
He knows your every disappointment. He knows your every concern. He knows your every fear and your every frustration. And then he also knows the things you really need. When we're just worried about a hungry stomach, but we actually have a disease, that kind of thing. Jesus knows. And he's revealing here in his word the very nature of his kingship. This is the kind of king he is. This is the kind of savior he is. Back in Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel saying, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. This is what the Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds. You eat the fat and clothe yourself with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. You're supposed to shepherd my people and you're butchering them. And then the Lord says, for thus says the Lord God, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. Christ is not careless, cruel shepherd but he knows the needs, and he's training his disciples to see the needs. But will Christ meet that need? Indeed, he will. Notice, secondly, the provision that he makes, the provision that he makes. Jesus said to Philip, where should we find, where should we buy bread for all these that they may eat? But verse 6 tells us he actually knew what he was going to do already. He was just testing the disciples here. And he wants the disciples to recognize the challenge of this. Is it possible for you disciples to feed these people? He wants them to see the human impossibility of it. Philip gets it. We could, we could spend eight months' wages, and, and it wouldn't be enough for everybody to have a bite. And another disciple, Andrew, says, well, a boy here, he's got five little loaves, but what's that before all these people? Two little fish, what's that? Now we read in verse 10 that there was much grass in that place, and Jesus commands his sheep to be settled in the pasture. Have them sit down. Some 5,000 men. Maybe women and children, too, beyond that. And then Christ, the perfect host, he he takes the bread and he gives thanks to God. And then he gives to his disciples to do the impossible, to feed all these people. Christ's glory shines forth. He's not intimidated. He doesn't worry that he's not enough for these people. What's the result? They eat as much as they want. And then verse 13, the impossible math. They pick up the leftovers, and they have 12 baskets full that came from five little loaves. Five little loaves feed all the stomachs, and there's 12 baskets left over, showing that God supplies his people in a way that goes beyond human reason and beyond human resources. And of course, Christ as the words that will follow in the chapter show, he's concerned about far more than stomachs, isn't he? He doesn't just want to feed our stomachs, as important as bread is for our physical life, but he wants to be for us the bread of life, that we may live eternally, have fellowship with God, have the forgiveness of our sins, have peace with the Lord, and live, and live. God does with an overabundance, doesn't he? Is Jesus enough? That's the question, right? The disciples would face that question in their ministries. The church today faces that question, is Jesus enough? We face it in our personal lives, and then we face it when we meet people with complicated problems in the world. Is Jesus enough? And the answer is what? 
12 basketfuls more than was needed. A week ago, Saturday, I was on an airplane coming back from Mid-America Reformed Seminary and seated next to a guy who was actually flying into Portland for the International Snow Science Workshop, which I learned is something that happens in the world once a year. This year was in Bend, Oregon, and all the snow experts from around the world gather, I guess. This guy was a professor at a university in Switzerland, uh, an engineer working on snow equipment. And so we got to talking. He was from Switzerland. He mentioned Geneva. And I said, my favorite theologian's from Geneva, John Calvin. And he didn't bite. And then he told me he was actually a German. And he mentioned Heidelberg. And I said, my favorite catechism is from Heidelberg. And he didn't bite. And pretty soon I said, don't you want to know the God who made everything? He didn't bite. And I said, don't you want to know the God who made the snow? And he said with his German accent, we make the snow. And I got the point. It's what we say, isn't it? We make the bread. Don't you want to know the one who makes the grain? We make the grain. This is how we live apart from Jesus Christ, isn't it? Self-sufficiency. Is Christ enough for those who will recognize that they aren't enough? You see, sometimes we're afraid that somebody might actually want to know about Jesus, but present us with their messed up life, and then we'll be baffled. What shall we tell them? When their child's addicted to drugs, when they've faced a horrific crime in their life, when their family's fallen apart, In 2 Kings chapter 4, somebody brought the prophet Elisha 20 loaves of barley bread. And Elisha was with the people, or maybe with the school of the prophets. And he said, set it before the people that they may eat. And Elisha's servant said, how can I set these 20 little loaves before all the people? And Elisha said, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. This is Jesus. He's never not enough. He's never not enough. He makes provision for you and for me and for all who will come to him. Do you believe Christ is enough this morning? You see, you can't let go of Egypt. You can't give up your pleasures of sin unless you believe Christ is more than enough. You can't give up trusting in your idols unless you believe Christ is more than enough. And Christ is saying, I am your complete salvation. But thirdly, then this morning we see the path that he takes. The path that he takes. Verse 14, the people understood a miracle happened. Verse 14, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is true, the prophet who has come into the world. Moses had promised that God would raise up a prophet 
from among you. Deuteronomy 18, and they say, this is the prophet now, he's come. They, they understand the eschatological moment, we're at the end, here he is, the prophet. But verse 15, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Now that was a tremendous act of love and self-sacrifice, right? Jesus leaves them, denies them wanting to crown him, not because it wouldn't have been easier to do that, but because it wouldn't have been good for him to do that. What are they looking for when they want to crown him? What kind of a leader are they seeking? This guy gives bread? He's going to fix the economy around here? They were also thinking of Exodus in terms of political liberation, weren't they? So tired of living under the thumb of the Romans. We're all watching the news about Israel and the Palestinians. Palestinians are so tired. Not having their own land, right? Not having their own government. At least that's what's being said. But you see, the Jews lived under the Romans. They didn't enjoy that. They kept looking for the Messiah to come and set them free. They were looking for a, a political leader, military might. They wanted an exodus out of the domination of Rome. If Jesus had been crowned king right here, the people would have never been free. They might have had a better economy, right? If we hire a wise man, he might be able to fix the economy. Might even create a political truce or raise up an army and cast off oppressors. But they would never really be free, would they? Still be hungry. Still be starving to death. Because if you have lots of bread, but you don't have the right to eat, if you have lots of bread and God doesn't give you his blessing, we know that man does not live by bread alone. You can have all the bread in the world and still perish, right? It's a deeper problem. It's our sin, right? It's a deeper oppressor than a political enemy. There's Satan and his dark domain that rules over our hearts until Christ sets us free. What does Christ do? They want to crown him king and he walks away. He walks away. He refuses to become what they want in order to be what they need. And he still does that to us, doesn't he? He refuses to become what we want and remains what we need him to be. You've encountered that and so have I. We want Jesus to be this for me now. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to be this for you because this is what you need, what you really need. So often we want salvation in the present world order, but Christ is drawing us to a new world order. And so Christ walks away. And you know, that's really the story of Christ's ministry, isn't it? That he walks away, that he isolates himself. And, and it gets narrower and narrower, doesn't it? Until that, that night in which he's arrested, even his own disciples desert him. And at the cross, he gives away even his own mother. And what's left? Jesus all alone on the cross. Because that's what we need. His sacrifice to reconcile us to God. And so this great king begins his reign on a cross. He begins his reign on a cross. Did the disciples get it? No, they fled away. 
But now John, this gospel writer looking back, he gets it. He gets it now. He sees the glory and the wonder that this King Jesus Christ walks away from this lousy kingship they offer him to be for them the king that they so desperately need. And then finally, this morning, we see the peace, the peace that he brings. Jesus goes away, his disciples, excuse me, his disciples go out on the boat and they head back across the Sea of Galilee. And and John gives us four important comments about the environment. Number one, it's dark, the sun had gone down. Number two, Jesus had still not come to them. Number three, the waves began to swell because the wind was blowing. And number four, they were three or four miles from the sea shore. They were basically in the middle of the lake. And so John sets up this impossible barrier, right? It's dark and the waves are high and they're a long way from Jesus. There's no way Jesus can help him. There's no way. It's utterly inconceivable now. They've gotten a boat. They've left. Jesus stayed there. We are all alone. And, and maybe this is just exactly what Christ wanted them to understand. Maybe in, in distributing all this bread and Christ feeding 5,000 people and employing his disciples, right? I mean, that's the nature of the miracle. He employed his disciples. They said, we can't feed these people. By the time the miracle's over, they have fed all the people. And Christ was preparing them for ministry, saying, you say you can't do it, but through me, you do it. It's a a lesson for, for elders and deacons, isn't it? You say we can't do it, you can't do it, but through me, you do it. And so the disciples have fed all these people, and maybe they got big heads and thought, this is glorious, we're part of this kingdom. But now they're alone, and the glory is gone. No Jesus, no bright lights, no applauding crowds, terrifying waves. And what happens? Jesus walking on the sea, effortlessly striding across the the waves. Boys and girls, remember in the Old Testament, Moses, God used Moses to part the Red Sea and lead his people through. And then God used Joshua to cut off the Jordan River and to lead the people into the land of Canaan. But here the greater than Moses just walks right over the waves. Disciples are terrified. Who is this? What is this? It is I. Do not be afraid. I am. God had said to Isaac that night he had to, he had to, he was all alone. He said, I am. I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. God had said to Jacob, wherever you go, and he had to leave the land of Israel, I'll be with you. God often appears in the Old Testament, doesn't he? Revealing himself, the great I am, and saying, do not be afraid. And now Jesus stands there upon the waves to tell them, fear not, fear not. And they, what could they do? But they invite him into the boat. Yes, yes, get into the boat. And he gets into the boat and they arrive safely at the seashore. One writer puts it like this. In that situation, Jesus reveals himself to them in the absoluteness of his messianic power and authority. It is in this way that he wants to be known as the one sent by the Father over against all that human beings want to make of him and use him for, and it is faith in that identity which he wants to lead the disciples 
even when they might have to follow him, not in the light of his glory, but along other roads and under the threat of other powers. The disciples are going to have many more days like this, right? When it wasn't the glory of heaven shining upon them, but it was going to be difficult days. Some of them are going to die martyrs' deaths, right? It was going to be days in which the glory is not apparent and, and the oppressors make it look like, like Christ could never help me here and Christ wants them to know you have to follow me and trust in me. When the darkness is deep and the waves are high, I am there. And when he sends them out at last, right in Matthew 28, to make disciples of the nations, he says, I am with you. Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, that's a comfort. It's a comfort as we think of our personal lives, right? I spoke to a man this past week whose marriage is over. He told me he was a Christian. But his marriage is done for, he says. It can be very deep waters in marriages, right? Where everything's confusing. It's dark. Waves are high. Don't know which way to go. Don't know why things don't work out. Don't know what to say. Don't know where to turn. But is this the Lord of the Exodus? Is this a greater than Moses? And will we trust him as such? Be difficulties in parenting, right? Maybe it doesn't feel very glorious to be a parent. Mothers wearied by the physical strain in their early years or the emotional strains in the later years. Hearts broken by wayward children. What do we want Jesus to be for us? And what can Jesus be for us? Or is it too dark? And have we rowed away too far from the shore? Jesus striding across the waves. It's me. It's I. I am. Do not be afraid. Good news for children and young people who feel at times that no one understands them. Nobody gets it. The sympathetic king knows all the needs of his people, and he's able to be present. And why is that? It's because Christ is headed here in John straight for the cross, the darkest place on planet Earth. Darkness at noon. Heaven goes silent. All your billows have gone over me. And yet, having paid our sin, he arises from the dead. And he strides forth from the grave as the mighty conqueror who has begun a new exodus, taking us out of the grave of our sin to lead us to God forever. Do you know who your Lord Jesus is this morning? See a small Jesus. See the one you keep saying, you know, there's no way we can feed these people. There's no way the church can answer the need of the world. There's no way I can be a husband or a wife in this situation. There's no way I can be a parent to these children. There's no way I can be a son or daughter to this father or mother. There's no way I can care for my brother or sister in the church. Are we a 
disciple who has seen the glory of the Lord. That what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Christ has come as a far greater than Moses to provide everything and to lead his people all the way to glory. Brothers and sisters, you have a great Savior. Don't sell him short. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for the revelation you've given to us. May we take it to our hearts. May we embrace the Savior as he's made known. And may we rejoice in his name. Amen.